0: open your Bibles to Psalm 101 and then to Psalm 127. We're talking about the Christian home. Hopefully, if you marry, that's what yours will be. But a Christian home is not where two church members marry, and therefore all is well. It seldom works like that. But it certainly can work right, and it certainly can work well. You have a Bible full of promises that your home and your marriage can turn out right. Your children can grow up well and be citizens of God's kingdom and make good contributions to this world that they live in. That chance and that opportunity and possibility confronts everybody in this room. Whether or not it happens depends on what we do with it. But individually, here's what we want from each one of us in our home. In Psalm 101 and verse 2, he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Perfect meaning integrity, innocence, freedom from condemnation, uprightness. I will walk within my house with a clear conscience like Paul said he had. I will walk within my house in the honesty and integrity of my heart. What I confess I do, what I believe I live it, and I live it first of all at home. If you can live it there, you can live it in the four walls of the church. Because what you bring in here tonight from your home really is what you have become and what you are in your home. If you're a single person, that's different than it would be if you're married. But because a lot of you are married and a lot of you will yet marry, unless I can talk you out of it, I want you to turn to Psalm 127 because chances are, if you marry, there will be children in your life. That usually happens. It doesn't always happen, but it usually happens. Now, so far, we've talked about the home, what it is, and what God wants, that it should be a Christ-centered dwelling where all the members of the family are taught to honor Christ, and has divine order, that the family follows, that there's a headship, that's the father, he's the head of his house, we spoke about that, and then there's a wife, she's a helpmate. A woman was created for a man, therefore he needs a woman, but he doesn't need just a woman, he needs the kind of woman that God gives to him as a gift. And the Bible says that whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord, not all men can say that. It's not hard to find a wife, but not many men have found one described like the Bible describes it. Now, those of you that aren't wives yet, you can be a virtuous woman, and like it says in Proverbs 31, you really can be. It all depends on how badly you really want to be, how sincerely your relationship is with God. And if you're willing to apply yourself and put Jesus first, he can make you the kind of person you ought to be. And it will affect your home for good. All the days of your life, the heart of your husband will safely dwell in you. He will have no fear of evil from you, that you will do him good and not evil all the days of his life. And you don't have that attitude of this age Is well, what's he going to do for me? That's not even the issue. The issue is how do I personally relate to God on his terms. If he says this is the way walking in it, I'm not walking because of what's fair or what's reasonable or what's sensible in this society. I'm walking this way because this is what God said. I put that above everything else. And being willing to do that, God begins to mold in you, make in you, develop in you the kind of person that he is pleased with and the kind of person that will make a home that is Christ-centered, in a home that's peaceful. A woman can do that. Remember, it was a woman. He said, if you will put the Lord first, even though you have a husband that doesn't obey the Lord, he may be one, not by your words, but by your behavior as he beholds your chaste manner of life coupled with fear. And he watches you live your life. And you're not a complaining, belligerent, yapping person, but your eyes are on the Lord to do what he wants with whoever he's put you with. And you're willing to show how you feel about God and how you relate to your husband. And that affects a man. God said it would. And that affects a man that turns him in the right way so that your husband can be one. Amen. God wants a house in which the whole family is won over to the Lord. Now, tonight I want to talk about children. Children. I want to talk about children. I'll do some more on it next week, too, but I want to talk about children because they become an issue. There are so many of them in the world, so many of them without hope, it seems. So many of them that have been abandoned, so many of them that weren't wanted. Every child born out of wedlock was not wanted. It was an unwanted child. It wasn't planned. brought difficulty and pain to two young people. Didn't know what they were going to do. And it doesn't turn out well very often in situations like that. And it should never be. But it happens. The Bible says things about it. And children are a great focus in Scripture. God says, as we'll see tonight, a whole lot is said in Scripture about children. But one of the things primarily it says in Psalms 127 is this in verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man so are the children of the youth happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them and they shall not be ashamed and so forth well that's what it says the idea of having a quiver full of kids today just makes a lot of people shudder Oh, no, what would we do with a quiver full of kids? I guess you would find a place for them to eat and find a place for them to sleep. I would think you would. It's not a curse to have children. It's not a curse to be with child. Unless, of course, you're not married, you shouldn't be like that. But children are called a heritage of the Lord. Your Bible says that. It should say that. Children are a heritage of the Lord. In Scripture, the word heritage, especially in 1 Peter chapter 5, God's heritage refers to the saints of God who are the objects of God's work and God's blessing. And when God gives us children, he doesn't give children to us to interfere with our lifestyle and to make life miserable for us. He gives us children because another verse that says he wants godly seed. In fact, the whole purpose of marriage and coming together is to have the right kind of an atmosphere to bring children into this world. But bringing children into this world is no problem. People do it all the time, and these children die without Christ. But he wants godly seed. And that's why he has such a problem in Malachi, too, with divorce. That's why he hates it, because when two people part ways, and they usually part way with words and innuendos and ideas with the children, victims of all of that. They are f- affected by that, and they don't always turn out well. They usually prefer one parent over the other, or they love both parents. They can't go both ways, and their parents don't like each other, and it's a difficult time for children. I was there once, a little bit. I know what it's like to see your parents split up, and you have to stay one way when you want to go another way. And it does affect you. It does affect your thinking about situations like that. You form wrong opinions about a lot of things, and you grow up later. If you get saved, you have to overcome all of that or be delivered of it. One. But God says that children are his heritage. He gave them to you so that you have an opportunity to apply all the things that you've been taught and all the right attitudes you should have towards your children And they become little projects so that when they grow up, they're useful to God and he doesn't have to judge them. Because if children don't grow up right, they will be judged. You know, when you first have children come into the world, they're cute and they're heavenly and sweet and everybody wants to hold them and All the little kids want to carry them around, but everybody wants to hold them and wants to talk and all the new little things that they do and all the little noises and the goo-goo and the gaga. Oh, look, she took her first step, and oh, and everything is really, really cute. Well, children are good. In that way, they bless you. You don't know what you're getting when you have a child. I mean, they come without instructions, and you really don't know... What's gonna happen? But I can tell you this tonight after all these years of watching and reading about it and studying about it, every little child that comes into your life has the potential. One of the great and interesting things in life itself is the potential that every child has. That if the right things are applied to this child's life, this child can become something that God will honor. And yet, if those things are kept back from a child, and nothing ever really is applied to him that God has taught, it's a real tragedy in life to think that that little baby you carried around, God one day will have to judge. You know, the Bible speaks of Judas, the one who betrayed Christ, Judas Iscariot. When you read his name in the New Testament, you always read Simon's son goes with it. It always mentions who his daddy was. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Why Judas turned out the way he did, I don't want to get into theology of all of that, but there was something wrong from the very beginning with him. Even Jesus said there was. Now, in raising children and in dealing with children, we have to always remember this. That little baby, that wonderful little perfect child that came into your life that's going to be great, probably be president. No, probably be great someday. The psalmist said this in Psalm 51 and verse 5. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. I was formed in iniquity in self-rule, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So that's what you get when you have this baby. You have something that is prone to sin, capable of sin, able to aggravate to the nth degree, able to bring much embarrassment and shame into your life. Another verse, Psalms 58 and 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. So as a Christian parent with a new baby, you realize that the Adamic nature, the fallen nature of Adam is lodged in this child. This child was born needing to be saved. They can be sanctified, of course, 1 Corinthians 7 says that if there's one believing parent, you know, your child is sanctified, set apart unto God. There's more to that than that. But this child needs to be saved. I do not believe that children are born, then get lost, and then need to be saved. I believe every child that is born, when the Bible said there is none righteous, it would include those that are born. Would you agree? There are none righteous, not even one. There is none that doeth good, not even one. Job said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one, Job chapter 14. And so we talk about children, we're talking about they can be blessings and they can make you happy or they can bring you shame and difficulty. Would you look in Proverbs? We'll be in Proverbs quite a bit tonight because I want to read verses. I want you to follow me and I want to make a little bit of commentary about that. The Bible speaks on this subject much better than my commentary. And so we just want to see what he says about it, take note of it, and let God speak to you about things maybe that I don't say that you can maybe take a note on for yourself. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. Now, this cannot be refuted. This is the way it is. It says that a child that is left to himself bringeth shame to his mother. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And I believe, is my personal conviction, I believe that too many kids, probably most kids, are left to themselves. And self is a horrible thing to form a life because you become proud and selfish and arrogant You learn how to whine and complain and be belligerent, and then out of all of that, these children become victims. And because their mothers and fathers did such a terrible job, raising them, and they're full of so much guilt about how they turned out. They defend their wrongs, back them in school when they spit on teachers and cuss teachers out and all of that, oh, my poor little child. These children are what they were raised to be. A child left to themselves will bring shame to their mother. They're gonna embarrass parents. I mean, you look at all the kids whenever there's a riot in the streets or there's things that are ugly going on at night and dark in places and, and the way people dress in schools and school functions and the way they act and the way they dress, somebody raised those kids and they think that the way they're acting is okay. That's just the way they're raised. And they do wrong, and they go wrong, and you don't know why, but you grieve over it, and it's sad, and it's sorrowful. But in verse 17, it says, if you correct your son, he will bring rest and delight to you. It's really up to you, you sitting here tonight. And we can't affect the world out there that has all these children and brings all these children in the world every so many seconds or Something a child is born, we can't affect them. My interest is just right here. And like he said, if you correct your son, he'll give you rest. He shall give delight unto your soul. It all depends on whether you want to take the time as a Christian to involve yourself in this baby's life or whether you're more interested in how you feel and what's going on in your life to leave them be get them a TV program or something and let them watch whatever and just not deal with it. I just don't wanna deal with it. I'm not having a good day, I don't wanna deal with it. So you leave your child alone and you're training your child whenever you do that. Now that shouldn't be as Christians. If you're gonna have them, you're gonna have to raise them, right? Because God's gonna hold us accountable for them in the day of judgment. So you correct your child, he won't bring you shame. Let's look tonight in Proverbs chapter 22 to begin with about children, and then we'll look at God's specific instructions in Deuteronomy and the Psalms about what me and you ought to realize that God expects from us in raising godly seed, how to do it, the things that he tells us to do. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, it says, If you train up a child the way he is to go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, the word train has to do with molding the character. Again, you didn't get something when your baby came into your life, little boy, little girl, you didn't get something that was just automatically holy. They have to be trained. You have to pay attention to them. You have to do a lot of correcting. Like it says. you correct your son, he'll bring you hope and delight if you correct him. But you have to be willing to do that. Your government doesn't want you to do that. The school system, they wish you would, but they don't want you to do it. All these agencies of the government, all these nosy agencies that want to take your kids away from you, they don't want you to correct your children. There's a sinister spirit in this age. It's doing its level best to keep Christians from being the kind of parents the Bible says they should be so that they raise the kind of children they shouldn't. And they want your children to be unruly because then the government says we can do a better job. School years are longer. Now they want to feed them at school. You don't have to feed them at home. Longer days. We'll even come and get them. I don't know how we ever made it through childhood. We had to walk to school. I don't know how we made it. Well, he had to walk sometimes a half a mile to school up the highway. How did we ever do it? I guess it was child abuse. But you're not living in a time in which society smiles at the word of God. In fact, if you're a religious person, they really do want to investigate you because they want to find some method of child abuse, something you're not doing that the state says you should do. If you let your child walk out of trial, just nothing more than a cold, sniffly nose, or a little bit of a fever, and they find out about it, they will try their best to take your child away from you. Because that's the way the government is. If you use a rod, which the Bible teaches, and we'll talk about next week, if you use a paddle or a rod on your child and they find out about it, they will. They'll try to take your child. You got to sit here tonight and make up your mind who you're going to serve. You can't live in fear. You can't live in fear of this world. You got to use wisdom. I mean, you can't be out in some mall and your child not mind you and then take your belt off right there in the aisle and start wailing. That's not wisdom. And sometimes children know that you can't. And they act sometimes they're ugly. It's that darling little thing that was so cute. They get out in public where they know you're not going to do something. And while they wouldn't do this, they are kind of going... You can't do nothing. Somebody will come and get you. And then you have to say, when we get in the car, it's over. (laughs) You are toast. (laughs) But train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from us. So ask the question, why are so many rude, disrespectful, unthankful, unmannered children in the world today? They don't say thank you when you do something nice for them. They seldom say excuse me if they bump into you, or if you're talking to somebody here, a couple of adults are talking here, and they walk right between them, they don't say excuse me. Now, if you're over 40, you know that if your mother had caught you doing that, you would have been talked to. I think my mother, and I'm no standard for anybody, but my mother made a big deal out of manners when i was growing up and being south of the ohio river and i know this is more of a southern thing than it is uh northern or western or eastern thing but you know in the south we just learned to say yes ma'am no ma'am and we seldom ever said yep or nope at least not around our mother dad didn't care but your mom who wanted you to be a respectful child she made sure that you said yes ma'am no ma'am or because she would pinch you or some way lets you know that you're going to start all over. You're not going to do that. My mother would. Now, here I am in my 70s, barely, but it's still a natural, spontaneous thing to say, thank you, excuse me. No, ma'am, yes, sir. That was drilled into me. And having been drilled into me, my character was molded like that to be respectful and to be thankful. Now, children have to be trained that way. Because if they grow up in a place where there are no manners, they won't have any. They don't care what other people think. They're rude in their behavior. They're rude in their speech. They're rude at school, the way they talk. Again, they become victim because it ain't right and all that kind of stuff. Why is it that so many are like that? It's because of the way they're trained, the things they're allowed to do, things they're allowed to get by with. Some of their little antics were cute and they were laughed at and so the kid likes that because he gets attention doing that. Go to 2 Timothy chapter three and verse two for just a moment in answering the question, why are so many kids rude and unthankful and really disobedient to their parents? Well, the Bible says in the last days, this is gonna happen. In 2 Timothy chapter three, Verse one says, this know also that in the last days, perilous or difficult, dangerous times shall come. Now this is why, this is what he's talking about. For men shall be. They weren't trained not to be, but men shall be. Children were allowed to be, they weren't corrected. No attention was paid to them. They got by with this. They shall be lovers of their own selves. They got so much attention. We raise taxes to build bigger schools, better playgrounds, and all the stuff that we do for our kids. And what often happens is that a part of the plan is they become lovers of themselves. You owe me. You owe me my rights. And they grow up and they get married and they reproduce the same thing in their children. Ask a school teacher about them. He goes on to say they're covetous, they want, they're boasters, proud, blasphemers. And notice the next one, disobedient to parents. It's one of the signs of the last days. They got out of the house like that. They don't have to mind. They don't have to come here. They don't have to sit down. They don't have to be still. They don't have to eat whatever you put before them and they'll throw it on the floor because they can. This is one of the signs of the last day. God forbid it ever happens in the church or with children that God gives us because he gives us what he wants to be godly and we're letting them be corrupt because they are naturally iniquitous or naturally corrupt. Look back in Romans chapter 1 and verse 30. Romans 1 and verse 30. This is referring to verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to what? A reprobate mind. Will he do that with your children? Are all of y'all here? Will God give your children over to a reprobate mind to do things that are wrong? Well, whenever he gives them over to do that, It gives you a list of some things that will happen in verse 29 and 30. And and in verse 30, it ends with disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. That would be like sassing your parents. How many children have grown up and been allowed as teenagers to stand up to their parents and sass? I don't have to. I'm not going to. Go clean up your room. I don't want to. Now, that's disobedient to parents. That's one of the signs of the last days. And children grow up and are able to say that and able to get by with that. They tell their teachers the same thing. And when their teachers reprimand them, their parents who are weak, they go to school to defend their kids. What are you talking about? It's my kid. Don't you touch my kid. This is the age we're in. This is how it has gotten. Perilous times. Perilous times. What do you say in the next verse of verse 31 about understanding? Lacking what or something? Without understanding. Somebody's not teaching somebody. Somebody's not interested enough in children to correct them and to teach them, to mold their character, to train them how to live righteously in an unrighteous society, how to be obedient to their parents. How to be good workers and not lazy. Has there ever been a day in which so many employers speak of so many lazy employees? It's hard to find somebody to work because everybody's so lazy. Nobody wants to work. Well, no wonder they don't want to work. They never had to. Kids naturally look for the easy way out. They look for something that doesn't require much effort. Then they complain about how much they're getting or not getting. I've heard people say on a number of occasions about certain restaurants in our city here that it's hard to get good help. But you know, people come to the to wait on somebody in a fast food restaurant without personality, without any social skills, and they act like they don't care if you want anything or not or if you even like what they're asking you what you want or not. And sometimes they talk ignorant and, you know, in front of you. I've been there wanting to get something and two of them here flipping a towel or something. I'm at the counter waiting and got two of them playing back there. I'm thinking, who hired these kids? A boss should come up and say, would you two come here just a minute? Yeah, okay, will not you check out your clock? You're both fired. Well, they would have a fit. It ain't fair. It is fair because I'm the boss. I'm paying the bills. You're out of here. I don't want you working for me. Don't even come back. Go some other place. I don't want you here. Children are not used to being told they have to do things. They're not made to work. They don't have to mow the lawn. They don't even have to clean their rooms up. You can just let it look like somebody came here with one of them leaf blowers and, boom and stuff. Then when you need some socks. You go in and say, let me see. There's something under this pile here. See. And they'll get married. And that is exactly how they will be as wives or husbands when they get married. Marriage doesn't make you spiritual. Marriage has never made anybody saved or holy. Your parents raised you to live the way you live, and you're going to bring that same thing into a new home. And if you marry a man that can't put up with that, then he's got his hands full with you or vice versa. Because that's the way you were raised. That's what was tolerated. It's so demanding to fix things in a child's attitude because you have to stop what you're doing and you have to deal with it. And we're so full of ourselves, we don't want to take our time to deal with you. We just say, look, go to town or something. Just go out in the yard and play in the street." I know they don't say that, but I'm being ugly. But training up a child involves a lot of things. You teach them manners. Is there anything today wrong with manners? Is it okay to teach a child that when two adults are talking, you don't just butt in? Is it okay to go to somebody's room or office to just knock and wait until you're invited in or you just walk in while we're talking say hey I want something that's not the way you do it that's not mannerly you should have regard and respect for adults and authority and so forth and you should be mindful of, of the fact that the way you present yourself is representing your family you should have gratitude you should be thankful Somebody gives you something, somebody stands by and it's come on through, you say, thank you, excuse me, and you, and you go on by. I don't think that doesn't matter because somebody noticed that. Somebody's paying attention to that. And that's the kind of person I think the Bible speaks of that our children are supposed to grow up in, and be. If our children grow up without learning how to work, they learn right away that if they don't do a very good job or they're real slow, they'll frustrate you. Oh, here, get out of the way, I'll do it. Okay. They don't have to do it. Now I've been there. I've done that. But now I look back. I think shouldn't done that. I should have gone out there and say, "We will turn on the lights tonight in the yard, and you will use the flashlight until this place gets mowed, or all the sticks are picked up, or whatever it is I gave you to do. And you are not going to bed, and you will not go to school. tomorrow if it's didn't done, you will stay in this yard all night long and work. Then the police would come and get us." <laughs> That's a little extreme. All I'm saying is that children should be taught to work. They should be given duties, things to do. They should learn that you can't get by with anything less than doing that job. It teaches them to put in value on certain things. They should be taught how to spend their money. A, a dad should teach his child how to give a portion of his money to the Lord out of respect and thankfulness to God for the good health and the good job and his skills. Somebody has to teach them that. It's not the church's place to be the Sunday school teacher. It's the parents' place to do all of that. We should train our children to respect the worship of God and not let them whine and talk and play cars in the pews out here. They should learn to sit still and be quiet. They've learned how to manipulate their parents so they know how to squirm a little bit and know that they'll be taken outside so they can play and make noise. Or sometimes mom allows that to happen so she can go back in the nursery back there. Seats are a lot better, I guess. And sometimes they carry on little conversations back there and they talk. I don't know if they do now or not. There was a time 100 years ago they would. But a lot of times, you know, instead of just making your child sit still and all the things you have to sometimes you take them out, I remember the record, I think, is six trips once. I know a lady that took her child out six times. I think they got six spankings in one meeting. And one of the people said in church said, you're going to hurt that child. You're going to kill that one. (laughs) And, of course, the mom, as I understood the story, she said, they're going to sit still, too in this room where they don't want to sit still. They don't like sitting still. They don't know what you're talking about. You talk much too long and they don't want to sit here that long. And if they can squirm and aggravate you, you'll take them outside so they can sit out there and play and talk. Your child's attitude, your child's value, the worth of your child demands you giving it the best you can. And in this case, it means you don't let them do what they want to do. If you're going to raise a child to serve God, you're going to have to make a child mind you. If they don't have to mind you, they won't mind anybody. If they can get by with shortcuts with you, they figure they can get by with shortcuts with God. They won't have to go to church every week. I mean, why should I be restricted to that? They don't have to be loyal to the church or to Christianity because they didn't have to be loyal to nothing in their life. They grow up thinking that when they're in their teen years that this is just a time to turn it loose and have all the fun you can. Well, you'll have fun, but it's also a time where you're responsible to grow up. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. If you don't grow up in your teen years, you miss something. I mean, you don't want to be 20 years old acting 16 because you're not 16, and you're not cool like a 16-year-old when you're 20. You're supposed to be an adult. Somebody's going to hire you. They ought to be glad of what they're getting instead of wondering if this is going to work. There's something about obeying God and walking in the way that he gives us that's supposed to turn us around and set us free. It's supposed to be the way he wants it. I'm thinking about the story of Hannah when she raised Samuel. And when the child was weaned, she brought him to Eli and said, I, I'm loaning this child to you. And he was so well trained that the night that God spoke to him he thought it was Eli that spoke, and he ran. The Bible says the first time he spoke in 1 Samuel 3, he ran to Eli. And you call me instead of saying, what? Huh? Huh? Whatever. and go back to sleep. He didn't do that. But when he heard the voice calling his name, he went to the voice. He didn't wait for the voice to come to him or raise his level so that he knew, I better go this time. He went to the voice. And the second time God spoke, he went to Eli again. And Eli said, God's speaking to you, and so so forth. But that's the kind of boy she gave to the Lord. He wasn't a difficult child. He wasn't an obstacle. He didn't get in the way. He wasn't belligerent and difficult. He had good manners. He had a good attitude because his mother brought him up that way. What does God say about us then? What kind of instruction do we have in Scripture about doing this with our children? Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, 6, 11, and 32. Those four chapters in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4, 6, 11, and 32. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, now you notice When it comes to children, and it will in this verse, God begins with you, parents. He doesn't begin with your children. He begins with you. Listen, children are little yous. Not E-W-E, but children are little yous. They are little reproductions of who you are. They imitate you and your husband or you and your wife because they came from your womb into your family, God said, these are yours, they're my heritage, I want godly seed. So here's the way he begins in verse nine. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. This has to be first. Lest you forget the things which thine eyes have seen and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life but What you are learning and what God is showing you, what are you to do with it? You not only live diligently and live in light of what he's shown you, but he says at the end of verse 9, you teach them to thy sons and thy grandsons, sons' sons. Now, that's a responsibility. This was law. This was not a suggestion. This was commandment. The same principle carries over into the New Testament. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's not a suggestion. That's the word of God. And he says here, take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. Don't depart from the things that God has been showing you. You live it and teach these things to your children. Verse 10, especially the day that thou stood before the Lord, thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, gather me the people together and I will make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth and that they may teach their children. It cannot be escaped, especially in the Old Testament. And again, the principle carries over into the new. It is the responsibility of the parents to teach their children. It also gives a place for grandchildren. He said, teach your children and your children's children. So there's a role here for grandparents in verse 9. And then in chapter 6, if you'll turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Again, it begins with parents, with you. These words which I command thee today shall be in thine heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. All the time, wherever you are, you have the responsibility to show, declare, and explain to your children the word and the ways of God. It's your responsibility. It's not the church's. It's yours. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them up on the doorposts of thy house and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord your God shall have brought you into this land, which ye swear unto your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which you fill not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou have eaten and are full, beware lest thou forget the Lord. Is it possible, folks, that we hear a lot of things we don't retain, we're not diligent to hide the word in our heart, and we not only forget it ourselves, but we don't even know what to teach our children spiritually? Children, again, are little you and me's. They need to be taught. If you're not learning anything yourself about how to live the life, if there's no degree of joy and peace and goodness in the way that God is showing us, if you're not trying to live it now, what will you teach your children? I think a lot of people maybe just assume, well, I'm, you know, they hang around good people and they go to the right place. You know, hang around good, good kids and go to church, they'll be all right. Hanging around good kids doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. I don't know how many times I've had to deal with kids that had been in church all their life, had to put them out. Doesn't want to, don't like to. But all the years growing up, they weren't affected by anything spiritually. They could play the role. They could act it because they learned the routines. But in their heart, something was really lacking. They didn't care if they messed up and brought shame on your name in the community. Is that Joe's kid or Bill's kid or Bobby's kid? They didn't even think like that before they went out. It wasn't in their mind to consider the respect they should have for their parents. Never occurred to them. They just go out and do their own thing. Go, Hey, I want to be me. I want to be on. You know, I'm tired of all these religious stuff. And they go out and they do their own thing. That isn't good. But he said these words, you'll hide them in your heart. And you'll teach them to your children now in the same chapter here in verse 20 through 22, and when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, "Why has God blessed us so much? Why are we in church so often? Why do we have to sing so loudly like we used to? Why do you raise your hands? Why do we clap? Why do sometimes people dance? Why do they do that? How is it that we don't ever seem to be sick and yet I'm around so many kids at school that are sick all the time and, and seem like we're never sick? Is there an answer for all this? Should there not be an answer if the family is blessed and the child one day asks you a reason of why blessings come on our family? I remember years ago, a fellow whose name was Jackie. Jackie was a big robust boy and he had a little boy looked just like him. he's a robust kid and all of my little boys were all little skinny things. And he asked me one time, he said, why is it your kids are always well? The little skinny kids are always well. He said, my kid's always sick. I see. It's not easy to say, well, because we trust the Lord, because that has a flavor of arrogance to it. So I think I just told him, I said, I just try to pray for my kids and trust the Lord with them. We just give them the word of God as medicine to their flesh, like in Proverbs 4, and, and we count on that. And God is pleased with that. He's kept us well. You have to be careful how you say that. So we're not as good as you are then. No, he would have said. I am just said, I made a choice to not run to the medical world like everybody else does because I've done it my whole life. I was born sick. I had a half a lung removed. I know what sickness is. I was sick most of my life. I know how it is. It's easy to be sick. But when the light came in, I just decided that God was bigger than sickness since so we just learned to trust him and started making application of his word in our life. And just one day I realized that we don't have sicknesses anymore. We're delivered from it. It didn't happen overnight. In fact, I had to one day, re- whoa, we're well. And Should we not have that same testimony with our children? See, let me read again, verse 20. And when thy son asked thee in time to come, saying, what meaneth the testimonies and the statutes and the judgment which the Lord our God hath commanded us? And then you'll say to him, God delivered us from Pharaoh. God brought us by mighty signs and miracles out of Egypt. God gave us healing and health in our families. God blessed us so that all of our bills could be paid. The new car sitting outside, uh, God gave that to us. He gave us enough money to buy that, and we didn't have to go to anybody to get it. And look, son, what I'm showing you and what you're seeing in your parents or daughter, what you're seeing in your family, this is the way you've been raised. This same thing ought to go on over into you. You should be having the same testimony yourself because you've had a living example. Kids need that too. Deuteronomy 11, he says basically the same thing that he said in chapter 6, but let me read it anyway because he ends with something special. Verse 18, therefore you shall lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign and so forth. And, verse 19, you shall teach them to your children, speaking to them as you lie down, sit and walk and raise up rest and so forth. Verse 20, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your heart. Here's why. Here's God's response to your willingness to do this. That your days may be multiplied. Is that a long life? So you don't have to be afraid of your long life. You won't need some kind of an annuity in case you you get ready to retire and you don't have enough money. If God's going to multiply your days, he's going to bless you while you're multiplied. And you don't need life insurance either. That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. What if your home was a picture of heaven on earth? The very atmosphere, the very power and the blessings of heaven rested in your marriage and on your home? You never had scufflings, you never had loud screaming, things to deal with all the time. You didn't have kids standing up and sassing you and throwing fits and running like crazy and not minding and not responding. What if your house was just the opposite of that? Where all it took is just a word, stop. That's enough, sit down. And they go, sit down. You go, that'd be nice. Well. There's a lot of people that can tell you how that works. But you can't wait till they're 19 years old to do that. Or 15. Because by the time they're teenagers, they think. They think now that they're teenagers, the world owes them a living and that they're bulletproof. I mean, it's just the mindset. They're around people like that. They talk like that, schools like that. We're above and not beneath and they had to be taught, and they had to be trained. Heaven on earth is the Hebrew way of saying a long time. As, a, as long as the heavens are above the earth, as long as the earth exists and there's something up there, that's how long you'll be blessed. And that's a long, long time. Look in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 46. What a wonderful chapter this is. One of the great verses in the Bible is verse 47, but we'll leave that alone. Verse 46, and he saith unto them, set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day. Again, it begins with you. You must do this first. If you mentally acknowledge this, okay, 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 but you don't do it, it won't work. You won't get these results, but here's a result you get which you shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. Does your Bible say command? It means this. Child, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to do. I don't want to go. I don't care what you don't want to do. You're going to go. You don't have any options. You're going to get up at 630 You're gonna do this, you're gonna do that, you're going to school and when you come home, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. You're gonna help your mother set the table and when you do, you're gonna wash the dishes. And then you'll probably take a bath and you go to bed. I'd rather put a clean body in a clean (laughs) bed. So anyway, that's what you're gonna do. You don't have any options. We're the beginning and the end as far as you're concerned as parents. But we're fair. I'm not against you. I'm not trying to make your life miserable I'm just trying to put some checks and balances on your life so that we don't have to grieve one day about mistakes that you made that we shouldn't have let you make. We want to guard you against the wiles of the devil and the ways of this world as best that we can because we have seen what's happened to so many kids. And you're my child. I count you to be very important to me. God gave me good ones when he gave me you, and I want you to turn out well. And so that's... I think the right kind of an attitude that we ought to have about it. But he said, you command your children. You don't say, do you wanna go to church with us tonight? You say, get ready, we're going. We're going. And you're going. I don't feel good. Well, there's a lot of times I don't either, but you are going to church. We'll pray for you at church, okay? Whether it's okay or not, get dressed, we're going. Do you realize when I say that, there's so little of that today that we think that's abusive? But didn't he say here, you command your children? Why did God choose Abraham? Remember Genesis 18? Why did he choose Abraham? Because he would do this. He said, Abraham will command his children, his family after him to do what I've said. This is why I will bless his home. Because he will be in charge. He esteems God and his word greater than how anybody feels. And they're going to do what he said. And that's what he did. Turn to Psalm 78. It gets better. It gets better. Psalm 78, beginning in the first verse. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Again, starts with people and points us to his word. Your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and Our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works he hath done. We should exalt the Lord's power to our children. But let us first experience it. Let us seek that so that we have a living testimony of the presence of the Lord in our life. Then let's show the children why that's so. And so they can have it too. Verse five, for he established a testimony. There's that word again. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. We don't want that. We don't want to have to wonder why certain children are doing certain things and why certain parents allow their children to do things. I remember at a meeting once, I was in the back of the room, it was at the seminar, one of the seminars in years past. I sat in the back of the room because when the preacher was through preaching, I was gonna go back to my room because I didn't want to get distracted and talking and just words. As soon as it was over, I went to my room. But I remember before I left, I watched two children sitting beside one of the parents. This was up in about the middle of the place where you could really get distracted because I see people keep watching over there. These kids kept playing around and I could hear them. And they kind of got into it with each other. And I remember one of the parents looked over at them just about like this. And then back and people in the back there were going like that. And I think, why why would you let that happen? Could you not say that be enough? Shouldn't that be enough? Doesn't the training begin at home? Can't you at home say, if you're going to cry, cry soft? Don't you yell. You cry softly. John Wesley, that's what his wife taught him. Susanna, she raised how many of them? A bunch. 15 of them, 16. And she'd discipline them every now and they start crying, and she would say, you cry softly or you'll get another one. Ever how you cry softly? I did, and I let her, I was loud. (laughs) Because I've heard parents say, you want another one? Then be still. And they have to suppress their feelings. How many of you know that a child does not have the right to just feel any way they want to feel? They can feel a lot of things, but they are under obligation to suppress things that are not acceptable. You know why some children mind their parents? Because if I don't, I'll get a spanking. Now, I really want to take that cookie off the counter. I really Really want to ride that bike. I really want to do what I just so badly want to do. I really want to smack my little sister or my big brother. I really, really, I mean, I really want to. But the last time I did it, it hurt for an hour. So here's all the emotions. But the reason they restrained themselves is because of their respect for your authority. If you don't have any, you've got a problem, man. They're going to yell all day long. They're going to embarrass you in public. They're going to go through the grocery store, throwing cans in there, and you can't stop them and throwing cans in the aisle, fighting each other, running into people with their carts, and they're your children. They go to Shelbyville Christian Assembly, don't they? Yeah. Whew. But it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. Turn to Ephesians six. And we'll commence closing because I told you earlier that in the New Testament, there is a verse of scripture that in principle says what the Old Testament says. But it says it like this, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That would probably be teasing, making fun of your children until they just get very angry. That's not good. Calling them names, making them mad, belittling them. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but, notice he says, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's two words here, two Greek words. Nurture is a word pedia. It's a word that has to do with training by act or training by deeds. We get the word chastisement. It's correcting. It could be verbal correcting. Not everything means you have to spank a child. There are times you probably should, but it's the correctance, the fact that you're taking your time to correct a child. Sometimes you have to stop what you're doing to go spank them or set them down and have a real good talk to them, but this word has to do with whatever promotes their growth, their education, and their instruction. You are telling your child what the limits are and what the lines are, and chastisement means you make application of that with whatever correction that you need. The other word, admonition, is training by word. It's instruction and teaching. Both words run together, but one has to do more with training by act and the other word has to do with training by deeds. It is a duty of fathers. It would also be applied to moms because fathers are often off at work, eight to ten hours a day, and they can't be there for all of that. Though I remember a time or two when I did come home, my wife had said, okay, your father's home. Let's go talk to him. Then I would hear about something that one of the kids did that day or something that they said, and it was my responsibility. So I had a talk, and I think we did a little spanking or something, and then we did a little praying and cast it aside. But a child has to know that both parents are on the same page that both care about how you live and how you act. They're both supremely interested in you having a good attitude and will not tolerate a bad one. And they're willing to stop whatever they're doing and take the time to deal with you because you're worth it. You're worth whatever it takes to make you mind. And it's the easiest thing in the world. It goes with being lazy and incompetent. The easiest thing in the world to do is just let it go. And just assume, oh, they're just kids. They're just kids. You know how kids are. They just whatever, whatever. But that's the way they are. Children aren't perfect. They don't always do right. They make mistakes just like we did and do. But a man made a quote once. He said this. He said, children need love, especially when they don't deserve it. Because that is exactly what God did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. And sometimes we get so aggravated with our children that we don't want to speak to them. We just don't want to look at them or have much to do with them, and that is never the way that God treated us. That has nothing to do with heaven on earth. That is not a Christ-centered home. A Christ-centered home is exactly that. It's where Christ reigns. Just like a man that loves his wife the way Christ loved the church, he can't do that unless he learns about how Jesus loves his people and how gentle and kind and yet firm he is with us and that he chastens us because he loves us. But he doesn't chase us because he's mad at us. He chases us because if he doesn't and he lets us keep doing the things we're doing, he will have to judge us at the end and we won't make it. So he cares. Do we think our children would just automatically grow up and be saved because, well, they go to church? Why no? The only school I have found in the Bible is homeschool. And the teachers, the professors at the Bible school of your address are dad and mom. The only one. It has never been the function of the church to raise children. Let me tell you something about a youth group. I mean a youth program where you have a trained youth leader. Because he is trained in a religiously political system, he knows this, that if you want the favor of people, you gotta make people happy. To make people happy, you gotta give them something to do they like to do. Don't just talk to them, they don't like to be talked to, you gotta give them something to do. So we build something. We pass a law in Congress so that the people get happy because they get something for nothing. And if they're not getting anything, they start clamoring. So we got to give them something. Well, if you run a church like that, or if you run a youth group like that, they grow up to become adults. And when they become adults, they expect more. Somebody do me, do me. And it doesn't work like that. When it's spiritual, as I said Sunday, it's you and God. It's you and him. You don't have to wait on somebody to prompt you to do something. You don't wait till somebody else worships God. You do it because he wants you to. You don't have to wait on some organization to do anything. You do it because he wants you to. Now, getting together, folks say, let's get together and do this or that. That's fine. That's fine. We get our young people get together and do things. I think that's great. Older folks do the same thing. Fellowship is one of the primary functions of a New Testament church. But when you begin to organize it, you can make it mess up. But the point of it is, it's the attitude development that goes with it it begins to be your expectation what do i get not what can i give what do i have to offer but what do i get and if i'm trained like that at home i'll grow up like that in the church and i'll be real disappointed if i'm not entertained well or blessed well when it comes to raising children let me say two more things Children have more need of models than critics. They have more need to see somebody live a life that they can model their life after, and daddy's the best. Daddy's the best. Than they do for somebody to constantly criticize them. If you're tired of being criticized, do what's right. Work hard. Get up early. Stay late. Go the second mile. Do more than you're asked to do. Get an attitude that I'm going to be an ambitious, in the right sense, ambitious, responsible person. I'm not going to wait on somebody else. I'm going to do what I believe is right. The potential of a child, as I said earlier, when a little baby comes into this world, this little child has a lot of potential. This little baby can become a real servant of God, a real citizen in his kingdom a pliable heart, useful to the Lord. And because he's one of God's heritage, he's a gift from the Lord. God helped me raise this child, be aware of his needs, become sensitive to who he or she is, that I might have the right words and a lot of wisdom of what to do to raise this child the way this child should be raised so that I can do the right thing with this child. Because another guy said this once. He said, children are a great comfort in your old age and they help you get there faster. (laughs) I thought that was good. Close in Proverbs 10. You go back there, we're done. Proverbs 10 and verse 1. A wise son, or make it a daughter. I want you to measure yourself. All of you sitting here tonight, whether you're young and you're a kid or a teenager or a, an adult or a very mature adult, <laughs> not old. A wise son maketh a glad father. A son who makes noble decisions, who thinks before he jumps, who considers what's going on, who he is and what he's about, and then acts with integrity, makes a glad father. He'll never be called to the station to get him out of jail. But a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. and I do believe this, that mothers grieve over children that go astray more than anybody because they brought them into the world, they bonded with them more than anybody, else they're closer to them. They carried them in their womb for nine months. Mothers dearly do want their children to do well. Bear with me just a minute. Proverbs 15 and verse 20. A wise son, notice, a wise son makes a glad father. But a foolish man, notice, a foolish man despises his mother. Calls her sometimes the old lady. Doesn't care how she feels just do me, get up, fix me, do me. They're allowed to do that. In chapter 17 and verse 21, he that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. Kid's always in trouble, he won't mind, won't behave, doesn't wanna act right or do right. Verse 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bury him. It just seemed like you wasted your whole time trying to do right, this boy or girl. Why would they do that? I have been here. I know how this works. I've spent time alone, somewhat bewildered, like parents do. Why? And it goes back to me. I go back to the fact, well, there's some point in somebody's life when you weren't there or you weren't there in a good way. and a time you should have been more sensitive, you weren't, and you let things happen. You didn't deal with things, and this is what happened. It's grieving. In chapter 19 and verse 13, a foolish son is a calamity of his father. Whoops, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. Now here's the option. Here's what you got tonight. A lot of you are young, you haven't been married, you don't have children yet, or you're young and you are getting started and you got children. You can make out of that child somebody that God will use and God is pleased with, or you can leave them alone and God will judge your children. Remember that verse in Hosea 4.6, where he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now God offers us knowledge. Listen to me. He offers us knowledge the right way. And he said, because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. Think of that. You don't want to know what he gives you to know, then he will reject you. That thou should be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. What's the last part of would say? I will also what? Comes back on the children, doesn't it? Let me ask you a question. Why then don't a lot of children do well spiritually? Because their parents don't. Does it have to be like that? Not here. Shouldn't be like that. Amen. Bow your head. Father, we give you thanks tonight for your word, for the truth that's in it, for it is truth. All the wisdom that a man could ever want, Lord, is in this book. And the fullness of it comes by revelation from your Holy Spirit, making us able to be more than conquerors through Christ, able to do exceeding abundant. You have blessed us with so much and in so many ways. I ask you to bless us tonight as parents. While our children are still young, if we have reneged on our duties, that you would bless us and enable us to make a fresh commitment to you that we will begin to deal with our children as you, our Father, deal with us, your children. May grace find its way into our homes, into our lives, our hearts. May the time that we have be your time, and may we use it to your glory. May every little baby that's born into this church, Lord, be a blessing forever through eternity. May this world be better off because these children are born. May they rise up and call their parents, especially their mother, blessed. May they have a testimony that God has blessed my family and he will bless me. Godly seed, help us to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.